0: The story of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's is one of great power and pathos as we look at uh, wh- what they did and why they did it, but it's also a looking at hearts and how the Lord is what I call the fixer of the fix and how he intervenes to change people and bring them back home. Join us today for this fascinating discussion about Alma 23, Alma 24 talking about the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Okay, as we get started here, you're gonna notice something right away, and that is, I'm not in front of the class. This was another one of those dumb moments when, uh, through user error, uh, I made, uh, need to be able to kind of pund a little bit on the live class because I recorded it and it didn't turn out very well. And so I thought I would re-record it uh, so it would sound a whole lot better than what it did originally, so. Thanks for joining us anyway. Now, if you, as we jump in here, we're actually uh, uh, looking at Alma twenty-four. Now, th- this is that moment when uh, we in Alma twenty-three. We've just talked about how uh, all of the Lamanites were converting because of the preaching of Ammon and Aaron and the guys. And they, in fact, Mormon is going to go through and carefully list all of the cities that joined the church because of their preaching. So now they have open access to all the synagogues and churches, and nobody can revile against them. Well, if you think about it, that's probably not going down very well with the Nahors, uh, who have their synagogues, and they preach their particular style. So when the king of the Lamanites is saying they have to let Ammon and Aaron and the guys in, they weren't really happy about it. And, and so uh, an interesting thing happens uh, for us, and we're actually gonna find it uh, as we start in Alma 24, where it's gonna say that uh, all of these uh, Amul- a- Amalekites and Ammonites and, the, and these Lamanites who weren't converted, uh, they hadn't taken upon themselves the name of Anti-Nephi-Lehi. If you look in verse one, We get this series of things that happened to them. It says that they were, A, stirred up by the Amalekites to anger against their brethren. So there's the first one, stirred up. Second thing that happens to them is they become angry against their brethren. And then in verse 2, it goes on to say, and their hatred became exceedingly sore against them, even so much that they began to, no, four, rebel against them, insomuch that they, they, they would that he should not be their king. Therefore, they, five, took up arms against the people of, of anti-Nephi Lehi. So you get kind of what I'm calling the rebellion cycle. First of all, they're stirred up. They become angry. That rolls to hatred, that rolls to rebellion, and the result of rebellion is that they're going to end up taking up arms against uh, their brethren. Now, let me back up a little bit. I, I was reading something earlier uh, this week that I, that I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, years ago, as they were starting to do uh, heart transplants, they started having some experiences that they weren't expecting. What started happening, this is kind of strange if you think about it, um, they had these, uh, 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 for instance, a, a middle-aged woman uh, who goes in for a heart transplant. She gets a new heart, and almost immediately after her heart transplant, plant, she has kind of a personality change. All of a sudden, this woman who has never drank beer really suddenly really craves beer. And this person who doesn't like football suddenly is wanting to watch football all the time. And they started wondering, what was the deal with this beer-drinking, football-watching woman personality switch? Well, they went back, as you might guess, they went back to look at the uh, donor, the one that had donated the heart. It was a man that had died that, guess what, loved beer and loved watching football. And that was curious. Why is it that the transplant of a heart would change uh, personality and preferences? Now, on top of this then, not long after, there was a man that had also had a heart transplant uh, who liked rock and roll music. After the heart transplant, he became fascinated with classical music, especially violin music. Sure enough, they went back to check and found out that the, his donor had been a 17-year-old boy that had been killed in a drive-by shooting uh, who was clutching his violin at the time and loved to play violin classically. From that, it led them to look a little bit closer and really begin to try and understand a, a group of cells located at the top of the heart where they found that there seemed to be some memory cells in this group of T cells on the heart. See, we've known for a long time that memory is, and the details of memory, is dispersed throughout the brain. It's not all centered in one particular spot. It's scattered. It's called the dispersive theory of memory. Well, as it turns out, um, they also discovered that sometimes when memories a- occur, that, sometime, that the emotional side of that memory or the personality side is actually partially stored in the heart and that the heart retains memory. Now, we instinctively civilization we've known forever we talk about affairs of the heart uh, we have a whole uh, holiday valentine's day celebrated to celebrating the heart um, we recognize i love you with all my heart uh, when we get into scripturally we talk about how the lord desires the hearts of men and a willing mind it's always been oddly enough about hearts we just think well that's a pump in our chest moving blood well it turns out that it's more than that and it turns out that it is true that sometimes our deepest feelings and our deepest feelings uh attached to um, uh, memory and emotion is, is centered in the heart so there is something very powerful about that any of you who have uh lost anybody gone through the grieving process knows Uh, the pain of the heart and that you have heart, chest pains uh, from missing somebody so much. So you can see why it is that the Lord would want the hearts of men. Now, in this case, going back to uh, the Lamanites pushing back against uh, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, isn't it interesting that they are that what's happening is that they, they are being stirred up in their hearts against the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, these Lamanites that weren't converted. And then that, that stirred-upness then shifts to anger, that they have real anger against their brethren. And you might wonder, what is there about being stirred up that creates anger? Well, if you look about, look at it. Um, sometimes uh, those things that we feel, we feel directed towards others. That's why we love somebody from our with all our heart. That's somebody else. That's not us. And and for these guys, it was about anger towards their brethren. Now, the problem with anger, as we look at this rebellion cycle, this. Anger then hardens itself into hatred, uh, which says a lot, by the way, doesn't it, about anger, that anger that is unchecked and not dealt with can easily become hatred. And it's that hatred of the others. There are, there's the us's and the them's. There's my tribe and your tribe who ain't me tribe. Uh, it's others. And when we become angry at others, another group, another tribe, uh, it's easy then to uh, boil that down to a hatred. Um, And in that hatred, then we begin to rebel against them. Now, how do we rebel? Uh, What we do is that we then take up arms against other people. We begin to attack. We begin to push back. So this stirred up, going to anger, going to hatred, going to rebellion, going to taking up arms, wasn't just true for these, these Lamanites back then, but it's also true with all of us today that it's easy if we become angry with somebody and develop a hatred, we, we then want to push back and we're going to rebel. And in doing that, we take up arms. Now, it's important to recognize that when we talk about taking up arms in the scriptures, that, that sometimes you'll hear about the, the, the shield. Shield is a defensive weapon. It protects against. Arms are offensive in nature. Arms are one that we use to attack. And so for, for this, these, these uh, this arms race, if you will, begins to build within these Lamanites because their hearts have been inflamed with anger and hatred and a desire to rebel. Now, Mormon, beautifully as he tends to do, loves to go with contrast. And as as Mormon is looking at this, he's now going to contrast what's happening with these uh, Lamanites with what's happening with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. So as they know that there, there's murderous intent among the Lamanites, they hold a council in verse 5 with Lamoni trying to decide what they should do to defend themselves against the Lamanites. But one of the things that they find in, in verse 6 is that not one soul among them who has been converted will take up arms, an offensive sword, against their brethren, and they wouldn't even make preparations for war. Uh, on top of that, the king commands them that they don't do it. Now, you wonder what's going on with, with these guys. Well, in, con- in sharp contrast to the rebellion cycle that we just talked about among the Lamanites, we're now going to see a conversion cycle and the stages of conversion that, be- that was happening uh, as, they, as they talk about Why it is that they're not going to pick up their swords and not do anything to harm uh, their brethren. Verse 8, behold, he says, uh, this is uh, the king, I thank my great God that he has given us a portion of his spirit to, quote, soften our hearts. That we have opened a correspondence with these brethren, Ammon and Aaron. And, and the boys. So in a, as opposed to being stirred up and angry, at the very same time we have these anti- Nephi Lehis that are being th- their hearts are being softened and and the fascinating thing about this is that they're saying w- they didn't soften their hearts. The Lord gave us a portion of our, our, of his spirit to soften our hearts. In other words they're saying this is something that God and the Spirit is doing to us we're not making the change uh in and of ourselves we were given the spirit that would soften our hearts then he says in verse 9 and i i thank my god but that by opening up this discussion we have been convinced of our sins so they've gone from uh, the, from a, having a softened heart to being convinced of their sins uh, and then in verse 10, he says, and also he hath forgiven us of our many sins and murders and taken away our guilt. So softening leads to convincing that leads them to being forgiven, which then takes the guilt from their hearts. So you get this uh, conversion uh, cycle as well that I think is, is in contrast to that Rebellion cycle. Now, probably can't emphasize enough. I think uh, how they how they viewed what had occurred. Uh, if we go down to verse fourteen, uh, he's going to emphasize again, and it's probably Alma twenty four fourteen is probably one of the best single verses for describing how the plan of salvation works, that I've I've found in the scriptures. I just think this is beautiful. In verse 14, he says, how did this happen that we became who we are? Well, the the great, and the great God has had mercy on us um, and, and came to us and made these things known unto us that we might not perish. And, He has made these things known unto us beforehand. Why? Because he loveth our souls, as well as he loveth our children. Therefore, in mercy, he doth visit us by his angels, that the plan of salvation might be known unto us, as well as under future generations. Oh, how merciful is our God. So what he's telling us again is that uh, God has intervened in their life that he's, he's, uh, he had great mercy on them even at the time they probably didn't know that God had mercy on them and that he loved their souls as well as their children's souls and they didn't know it uh, so in his mercy he says he, he did visit us by his angels Ammon, Aaron uh, the, the guys and did so so that the plan of salvation might be known. In, in other words, God is the fixer of the fix. He's the one that instituted this. Uh, Savior talks about the fact that he stands at the door and knocks. Well, before the Savior stands at the door and knocks, the person inside doesn't know there's a sa- the Savior standing out there. And he has to knock. Well, he comes to us. He initiates the change. See, so often when we look at ourselves... We think we're the change agents. We just decided to change. Uh, Or we have to repent and do things differently. Or somebody tells us we need to decide to change. And and, And often we refuse to change or we push back against change or we change our way, not God's ways. He's trying to say that God intervenes. He is the fixer of the fix. He's a fixing God. And he stands at the door and knocks. And, and what he does in order to do this is that he visits us with his angels. He shows up, and he's going to, he's going to make things different in our life. Now, when that happens, guess, guess what happens? Now, the conversion cycle starts. The angel speaks. Our hearts are softened. Because of that, we become convinced of our, of our sins. And because of that, we then repent. And, and then the guilt leaves because God took it. He wants us to feel different, which we can do. You know, think about the, the children uh, under uh, King Benjamin who said, Now we know our hearts are changed. Something has occurred here. It's different. Uh, we're different than, than who we are and where we were. So how merciful is is our God. So now, with a softened heart, what do they do differently? Well, at the time that the Lamanites are preparing to pick up their swords, look at what these guys are saying. They're saying, now, verse 12, since God has taken away our stains, our sin stains, and our swords have become bright because we're no longer using them in bloodshed. He says in thirteen, let us retain our swords, hold on to them, that they be not stained with the blood of our brethren. Uh, And we're worried that if we were ever to stain our swords again, that they could be no more washed. So in in sixteen, he's going to say, now, if our brethren seek to destroy us, behold, we will do something interesting rather than take up our swords. We will hide away our swords, yea, we will bury them deep in the earth, that they might be kept bright. We don't want them stained anymore. So, what do they do? They say, they took took their swords and all their weapons, which were used for the shedding of man's blood, and they did bury them deep in the earth. Uh, now, they did this with the full knowledge. They says, if our brethren destroy us, behold, behold, we'll go to our God and be saved. In other words, we know that our lives are now in danger because we've removed uh, the swords, but we refuse to fight. Um, and so they're going to end up burying their swords. Um, and so uh, the other thing I find fascinating about this um, is... is Isn't it interesting that this is being written, these words uh, uh, that we're reading, and thus they did, it being their view of a testimony. These words are being written by Mormon, and Mormon is writing these 400 years later while he's standing in the middle of the final stages of the Civil War that's destroying his people. He's watched all his life as people picked up swords and drew them and killed one another. And in fact, his the Nephite civilization is almost gone because of this lifelong, decades-long war that he's been a part of, but he's watching uh, them slowly kill each other. And so I think there's a certain amount of awe on his part, verse 18, And this they did being, in their view, a testimony to God and also to men, to anybody who might be watching, that they would never use weapons again for the shedding of men's blood. And this they did, covening with God, that rather than shed the blood, they would give up their own lives. Now, I don't think that's just, uh, it's not just in terms of bloodshed. Look at what else. And... Rather than take away from a brother, they would give unto him. And, rather than spend their days in idleness, where they're going to rob other people, they would labor abundantly with their own hands. In other words, this is not just about shedding of blood. This is about not doing anything that would harm someone else. Uh, We we think back to the words of Jesus saying, uh, By this shall men know. That you're my disciples. How are they gonna know that you love one another? That means that you don't have a desire to injure one another. My disciples don't hurt one another. My disciples don't hurt their brethren. My disciples don't hurt other people. If you're gonna be if you're gonna follow the peacemaker, you will be a peacemaker a peacemaker. Uh And so after all of this, you know, Mormon is going to say, and thus we see, it's his catchphrase, right? And thus we see when these Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, they, other than the Lamanites that I'm seeing in this war, they were firm and would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. Um, and, And this I think is funny. This is one of those moments when maybe there was an Ouchy. on Mormon's part as he's carving this thing into uh, metal plates that you make a mistake and then you got to somehow recover from it. I think he does a good job here because he says in verse 19 and thus we see that they buried their weapons of peace. Weapons of peace? What does that mean? Well, I'll bet Mormon looked at that and went weapons of peace? Oh my gosh. And so then he goes and listen to how he recovers. Weapons of peace. No. Um, or they buried their weapons of war for peace. Oh, nice catch, Mormon. <laughs> nice little, uh, he sticks the landing here. <laughs> so that uh, it, it looked like weapons of peace, which made no sense. And, oh, no, as weapons of war for peace. Because there's no way he could just kind of go back and erase um, automatically here right? Uh, so uh, he gets to this then and he's going to say, okay, <sighs> came to pass that the Lamanites now make rep- preparations for war, and they're now going to march forward uh, to destroy uh, the king and the people. And we know how this lasts, right? And when the people saw that they were coming, they went out to meet them, prostrated themselves on the earth, Uh, They call on the name of the Lord, and without any resistance, uh, there was a thousand and five slain. And Mormon adds the postscript to that. And we know that they are blessed, for they have gone to dwell with their God. a horrific scene of uh, people being slaughtered, a thousand of them while they're in the middle of praying. Now, so we've talked about the... uh, Rebellion cycle that starts with having their hearts stirred and moving to anger and hatred. And then we talked about the conversion cycle, which had to do with uh, hearts being uh, softened, leading towards uh, uh, convincing and repentance and peace. Now, look at a third cycle that shows up here in the same chapter. Now, So now we go to verse 24. And when the Lamanites that are doing the slaughtering saw that the the, the anti-Nephi-Lehites wouldn't even fight back, now these Lamanites saw this, they did stop slaying them. And there were many whose hearts were swollen. Swollen. When do we swell? We swell usually under some kind of a bruise or under a wound wound that the skin swells. So this, this imagery is pretty good about saying they had hearts swollen. their wounded hearts because they're watching these anti-Nephi-Lehi's pray to God, not try and fight back, uh, even while they're being killed. And so for those that have a swollen heart, they repented of the things which they had done because it says that they were stung By the murders they had just committed. So there's a repentance uh, cycle here as well that they start, but again, as with the other two, it starts with the heart. And it starts with the heart being swollen and then stung. And then what does it say that they do? They threw down their weapons of war and would not take them up again. and Mormon qu- and Mormon gives us a side note here that it came to pass that the people of God were joined that day by more than the number who had been slain, and these are those that have been slain were righteous people. Therefore, we have no reason to doubt that they were saved. Okay, so sometimes those that were repenting with swollen hearts were also slain because they wouldn't they wouldn't keep keep on killing them. Um, now so we, we get we get this cycle as well. Now I find this I, f- I find this fascinating that we go back to these Lamanites that are doing the slaying and are not repenting. There's no swollenness among them and, and uh, we're going to be told that uh, many of those were actually, Uh, apostate Nephites the Amalekites and Amulonites who were actually the priests of Noah and were of the order of Nahor Um, because he's saying but those who uh, all those that converted were actually descendants of Laman and Lemuel so what happens with them so in general let me just ask when your heart is filled with anger and rebellion and hatred And the person that you want to direct at that is not fighting back. What do you do? What do you do with that uh, if they won't fight back? Well, interestingly enough, if we look in the next chapter, chapter 25, we find out. Verse 1 says of chapter 25, And it came to pass that those Lamanites were more angry that they had slain their brethren. Therefore... They're going to turn their vengeance upon the Nephites, and they no more did attempt to slay the anti nephi lehites So what do they do? We got all this anger, we got all this rage, we got all this hatred towards the Nephites. What do we do? We're going to find the nearest city closest to us, uh, and and pour out our rage on that one. In this case, they go into the borders of the land of Zarahemla, and what city do they find? Ammonihah. who had burned uh, all of the families of Alma and Amulek uh, back at that time. Uh, And it says they fell upon the people who were in the land of Ammonihah and destroyed them. Now, that's what happens with anger. That's what happens with hatred. What happens when it's directed at somebody that doesn't fight back? Well, if your heart isn't swollen and your heart is not stirred up by the, the things that you have done, you're going to take it out on somebody else. Somebody else gets the object of your rage. You might have a bad day at work uh, and get out on the roads and take it out in road rage to somebody who had no idea, but you're going to take it out on them. The old thing of uh, uh, the... The person who is it who is uh, attacked verbally at work, who then goes home and attacks verbally their spouse, who then who then uh, spouse takes it out on the kids, and the kids kick the dog. <laughs> you know, it's just it's displaced anger going somewhere because when you're all geared up for hatred, you want to pick up your arms and attack something or someone, and and that ends up being a horrific deal so ultimately if we're looking at all of this i just think it's fascinating that uh we get in chapter 24 uh, this beautiful laying out of of uh, hearts that need to be changed hearts that will be changed and then what happens uh with those that won't be And even those that are filled with rage and anger have had their hearts stirred by something, someone that's going to stir them up in hatred towards somebody else. And when you're all dressed up like that anger, uh, you really have nowhere else to go. Now, final thing that I want to do, I want to come back and emphasize again. Uh, Again, we got this beautiful description of the plan of salvation and how God works. And, And that is uh again back to back to 14 when the king of the anti-nephi lehi's is saying god had great mercy on us and wanted us to know things that would soften our hearts therefore he and he's going to do this because why because he loves our souls and he loves our kids and our future generations and because of that he's going to reveal a plan of salvation to us and he's going to do it by the hands of angels who will come and visit and intervene in our life and change our hearts so to the end of their days they look to God as the author of their change of heart it wasn't their decision to make a choice it was their hearts being softened and then it was easy for them to follow someone who loved them and who was going to give them direction. So, wonderful verses and wonderful chapters. And I pray that we'll actually kind of take the time to go back and look through this because I just think this is so powerful uh, and gives us so much insight into who we are and what we need to do. And I pray that we'll do that. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.